Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Uh, today I want to jump right into the message that, we're, that I feel like God put on our heart today. Uh, we'll be talking from Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> that's early, but we'll take it. That's your, that's your shout for open the Bible. We love our Bible, obviously, and that's why we say Romans 5 people get excited about it. So if you've got them today, you got them with you, come on, open them up. Let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5, I love it. Hey, I want to thank God for last week, Resurrection Sunday. Great day at all of our locations, and uh, we're just thrilled. Of the people we know of, 12 people responded to give their life to Jesus uh, last week, so we're thanking God for that, the best number of the week. So we're grateful, we're grateful. Uh, sermon notes are available on the Uversion Bible app in the events section if you want to check those out. Note takers are world changers. So let's uh, jump in. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to read the first five verses. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, come. Come and not only bring clarity of communication and, and understanding, but Lord, I pray there will be demonstration of the power of your presence. Thank you, Lord, that it not just be theory and not just be ideas and words, but Lord, I pray that it be demonstrative power of the Holy Spirit to set us free. Come, Lord, and bring it alive in our hearts that we will be forever changed by what you spoke to us today. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. amen. There is uh, something on my heart for today that I feel like there's a widespread issue with this around the world. It's uh, facing society. It doesn't discriminate against age, gender, or race. It's common to many different uh, people groups from around the world, and this issue is one of hopelessness. It's something facing our world in unprecedented numbers since COVID. Uh, depression has moved in and settled into hearts of people in record numbers. And so what, what we found is, according to World Health Organization, estimated 3.8% of the entire population experienced experience depression. Approximately 280 million people in the world have some form of depression. 280 million people. I would call that an issue that needs to be dealt with. Hopelessness is a result of discouragement unchecked that develops ultimately into depression. So what happens is our we get, we're all going to face discouragement. None of us are void of that. We're going to have discouraging thoughts on the inside. We're going to have discouraging situations. We're going to have disappointments that we're going to face. That's a reality in our life as human beings. But if that gets unchecked, and, and a phrase I like to say, if, if it dogpiles on us 
uh, enough, it can grow and develop where it goes ultimately into depression. And that's not the point that God wants us to experience. He understands we're going to have uh, discouraging thoughts, but we don't want to lose all hope and belief that something better is coming down the way. Hopelessness sets in a lot of times when something doesn't happen that we really expected it to happen. Or when we expected something not to happen and then it happened. That's when discouragement and hopelessness can really come in. And I've found in my experience that hopelessness goes to a whole new level when it is God that we uh, were expecting to do something about those situations. So in other words, something happened that we didn't expect to happen and we thought God was the answer. We expected God to be the answer or, or we expected God to be the one to prevent something from happening and then it happened. So ultimately when, when that comes into play, the question comes into our mind, well, well, if I can't trust God, what hope do I have in this world? I'm expecting God to come through and if, and if he doesn't come through the way I think he should or the way, the way I want him to, then where do I go with my hope, right? And that's where our hopelessness can really go into a whole new level and and we can start to think, okay, well, well, I believe this about God, and I don't know if that's true or not, so what is true about God? And people, in an in a understandable way, sometimes will begin to deconstruct their faith and start changing, well, I, well if that's not going to work, then I don't believe anything, or, or nothing I believe is right. And they will start to throw everything out, the baby and everything out with the bathwater, and, and now they begin to reconstruct their theology based on podcasts and theories and experience instead of on a reconstruction of what the Word fully says. Our problem is not that we don't know the Word sometimes. Our problem is we don't know all of the Word. There, I'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit, but I'm going, to, I'm going to come back to it because I just feel the Lord bring it to my mind. I don't want to forget it because it's not in my notes. This is, this is different. Sometimes we, we like certain parts of the Bible we embrace and then we don't embrace the other parts of that same Bible that give us a full picture of the walk of a Christian. Mm. Jesus was on a walk to Emmaus with some disciples and they were sad and they were discouraged and, and he said, hey, what's wrong with you? Well, we were hoping that this Jesus that died was going to save us all. So they had hope in God. And, and, but now, because it didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to turn out, that he was going to be a political savior and free them from all oppression and, and to conquer Rome and all that, because we hoped in that end result, we've lost hope. And Jesus said something powerful to them. He says, do you not know the scriptures? How the prophets foretold that the Messiah must suffer and die. They didn't know that part of the scripture. They knew the part of the scripture says, save us from Rome. Save us from Rome. But they didn't read the prophets, the hard part, where there was going to be suffering and dying. And sometimes we don't know all of scripture, so we take a partial view of God and we get disappointed. Brings us to where we are in this passage, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I want to talk about three essential keys to establishing and maintaining a life filled with hope. We need hope in our life. This world needs hope. 
And I believe there's three keys that uh, God pointed out to me in these scriptures and felt like it's what he wanted to do to help us experience hope and experience freedom in our life. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the first key to hope in our life. Number one is peace with God. We cannot have hope without peace with God. What does peace mean? Peace means harmony, means unity, means there, there's no animosity, there's no hostility, there's no disputes, that everything between me and God is good. Number one condition and key for having hope is we need a relationship and peace with God. So if you're here this morning, you're watching, you're like, I'm, I'm not born again, I'm not saved, I don't, I don't have a relationship with God, Ben Chad, I'm just struggling with my hope. Uh, absolutely. Without God, we cannot have hope in the long term. We've got to stop trying to build our hope on our financial position, our job, our personality, our reputation. Our hope has to be built on Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without God there is no hope. I know we have a great job and look like we have no needs. We, we have no want for anything. We're in great shape. I don't need God. I'm telling you there is no long-term hope without God in our life. People that have no financial needs whatsoever are committing suicide. They're giving up their life. Why? Because they don't have hope where it matters. And that's here on the inside. I can have a bank account full of money and have a heart full of hopelessness. This is what God wants us to have, filled with hope. So number one, first key is we need peace with God. Everybody say peace with God. Got to have that first. Number two, look at verse two. There, through whom also, also, in addition to peace with God, also, Paul writes and says, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access by faith. The word access there means a right or opportunity to approach the presence of a superior. The right or the opportunity to approach. So not only do we have peace with God, that's great, but secondly, we also have access by faith. Notice it doesn't say access by feeling. We have a right to approach God and it's not based on how we feel. Once we have peace with God, if we're born again, then he says, beyond that, now I want to grant you access that you can come into the fullness of the grace that I have for you. It's not just getting peace where God's not mad at me. There's no hostility. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. That's great. But to be filled with hope, we have to go into access to everything that he wants us to experience. He says we have access into this what? Into this grace. Grace. One of the issues I see in the church sometimes where we miss it is we don't really go in for the full access. It's wonderful that we get born again and get our, our sins forgiven. That's great. But God says I'm giving you access to more than that. I've given you access to power. I've given you access to grace. 
Well, I thought that's what happened when I got saved. That's part of it. Grace is not just forgiveness of sins. Grace is everything. The Bible talks about charis gifts, charismata. Those are grace gifts. There are gifts of Holy Spirit that after we're born again that God wants to give you. There is more beyond just getting our sins forgiven. There is more. There's full access into a whole kingdom that Jesus wants to expose us to. So he's saying, don't stop just at getting peace with God. Now I want you to come backstage. I got full access for you that you can experience everything that I have for you. Some are not living in hope because they're just hanging on to peace with God and they're not taking the access. There's more. It doesn't make the other one less. It just means there's more. Come on, let's go backstage and see what God wants to do in our life. We need access by faith into this grace. Now, some people, sometimes, I know the enemy does this with me, we don't go backstage because we don't feel we're worthy. The access is by faith, not by feeling. He says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How are we supposed to come to the throne of grace? We're supposed to come boldly. boldly. Our boldness is not based on ourselves. Our boldness is based on what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's based on the access that he gave us. My access to the throne is not based on my goodness. My access is based on Jesus' goodness. So the second key is access. And look what it goes on to say. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Look at the word rejoice there. It means to boast to brag about, to express confidence, or speak loudly. 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 To boast or brag about, to express confidence, or speak loudly. What does it mean when it says rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? The word hope there is a word means for expectation or anticipation. It's rejoicing or boasting because we're anticipating and expecting that we're going to see the glory of God. Part of living a life filled with hope as a believer is not just being temporal focused, but we have to be eternal focused. We have to remember and remind ourselves that this life is not all there is, that there is something on the other side, that what is seen is temporary, but what is not seen is eternal. And just because I don't see Jesus, just because I don't see the Father, just because I don't see angels and, and all of heaven doesn't mean it's not there. I have hope because I'm rejoicing, I'm excited, I'm bold that I'm going to see the glory of God. My faith will become sight. Everything I believe my whole life, someday Jesus is going to return and I'm going to be rejoicing. That's why my hope isn't built. My hope's not built on what happens in this world. My hope is built on what's going to happen for eternity. My world at best, 120 years. You're like, I'll take 80. You know, whatever. I'm just saying, even on the blip, can you imagine if, the, if eternity was, was spelled out over a, a string of time? Do you, can you imagine what 80 to 100 years is like? Eternity? 80 to 100 years? I mean, 
Can you see it? You can't even see it because eternity is forever. So we've got to live with that in mind. So we rejoice. Why do we rejoice? Why do we get excited? Why are we bragging? Why are we boasting? Because we're going to see Jesus. Oh, man. You talk, people make fun of Christians. Oh, you some of the people need a crutch about eternity. Oh, I don't need a crutch. I just believe with all my heart I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. I'm excited. I can't wait to see him. I, I asked him yesterday in prayer. I said, Jesus, why can't I see you? I just want to see you. Please let me see you, Jesus. But if not, I'll see you someday. I want to see him. Look at verse 3. Now, now here. So I got the first two keys. First one, peace with God. Number two, access into the more. But here's the third one. This is the one I felt like God wanted to land on today. This is the one that we miss a lot. Look what he says in verse 3. And not only that, not only that, what is he talking about? Not only do we have peace with God, not only do we have access by faith into this grace, and not only are we rejoicing in hope of the glory of God, those are all wonderful, but he said, here's the third key. Here's the secret weapon for believers. That if we will learn this one, the enemy will be confounded in what to do with you. Look what he says. And not only that, but we also, here's another one. So we're adding on. we got peace with God. we got access by faith. We're rejoicing in the hope. Not only that, we also glory in tribulations. Mic drop. <laughs> glory in tribulations. Did you read that right? Did Paul write that right? Was he inspired by the Holy Spirit for verse 1 and 2 and then he lost his marbles on verse 3? If the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to write verses 1 and 2, he's still inspiring him when he wrote verse 3. And he said, here's, here's something we also do. We have peace with God. We thank you for that, Lord. We're going to heaven. We have access into the fullness of his grace and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is wonderful. But we also glory in tribulations. What are you talking about? The word tribulations, if you're wondering, means this. Pressure, trouble, distress, oppression, affliction, and hardship. Woo! Yes! Those are words we try to avoid. These are words we say, get behind me, Satan. Right? Like these are things we're supposed to rebuke. But Paul said, I, I glory in tribulations. What do you mean glory in them? I glory in Here's This is why it's so important to study the Bible. The word glory is actually the exact same Greek word as the word rejoice in verse 2. It's the exact same Greek word. I can understand rejoicing in hope that I'm going to see God someday. I can understand bragging and boasting and speaking confidently and loudly about Jesus returning. I can understand that. That's wonderful. But the same word is used for us to also rejoice, brag, and boast about the fact that God is helping me through tribulations. Notice what it says. We, we glory or we rejoice in tribulations, not for tribulations. The word in is a preposition of position. Like where we rejoice. Not about 
what we rejoice. In other words, I'm not supposed to rejoice for pressure and distress and hardship. It's not a competition of saying, who's got the worst tribulations? Can we celebrate that? Hey, how's your life going? It's going terrible. I just lost my job. My dog died. Everything's going to pot. It's awful. Well, that's wonderful for you. Let me rejoice. But mine's worse. That's not what the Bible says. He's he's encouraging us to rejoice in. In it. In the middle of it. Not for it. Nobody is begging for hardships. Nobody's praying, say, God, please send me more pressure. That's not, we're not asking for tribulations. He's telling us the secret weapon is that we can rejoice in it. So the same voice that I have thanking God that he's coming, thanking God that Jesus is on his way back, is the same voice the devil hears when I'm in the midst of hardship and pressure. He's not hearing me whine and complain and bellyache. The same boldness, the same braggadocious confidence in God is still coming out in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of adverse situation. I'm still praising him. This is going to stir up hope in our life. But I said, how is that possible, God? Because I've had my share of tribulations, like you. How is it possible for us to rejoice in hardship, distress, and pressure. He said, look at the next word. But we also glory in tribulations. What's the next word? Knowing. Knowing. Oh, this is where it was. When I was studying this week, and I, I read that word knowing, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just came upon me, so much so I had, to, I had to get up out of my desk and start walking around the room praying in tongues. I didn't even know what I was praying about. I just knew the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I'm like, oh, there's something there. So I had to pray for a little while to figure out what it was. The Lord was excited about it before I even knew about it. He's like, bam, get excited. I'm like, okay. I don't know what I'm excited about. Whatever it is, Lord. So I looked up the word knowing. The word knowing is a Greek word, oida which means to have fullness of knowledge of something, and that, that was good, I mean, to understand, to be cognizant, to be aware of something, but, but the tense is what moved me. It's the present tense and what it means, or sorry, the perfect tense, and what that means is that something happened in the past that produced a present state of being. So something happened, you came to a knowledge, you came to awareness of something, and that knowledge, that awareness changed your entire present state of being. So much so that the past event is no longer the focus, but now it's the present state of of being that you are because of what you know, that you know something now that changed you. That because I know that, my whole life is different. My perspective is different. My view on life is different. The rejoice in tribulations, why? Because they know something. It didn't change the tribulations. It changed their state of being in the tribulations. Oh, did you get what God is saying right here? He's telling me, Chad, I'm not trying to change your circumstances. I'm trying to change you in your circumstances. If I can change your state of being, then it doesn't matter what the devil does around you. You're still going to be bragging on me. 
I'm going to still be filled with hope. So what was this state-changing knowledge that allowed them to be able to rejoice? What, what was it? I believe this. The apostles and the early church knew something that has been lost in modern-day Christianity. It's been lost, and I'll, I'll speak, apologize. I can't I'll obviously apologize for all preachers, but it's been lost because we stopped preaching a certain type of message. We didn't preach the full gospel as much. We liked verse 1. We liked the first two keys. We love peace with God. Woo! Jesus loves me. Amen. Let's just talk about how much Jesus loves me. Peace with God. God is love. So love means we can do whatever we want because God loves us. We love peace with God. We like even access. We like coming into the extra. We like coming into the overflow. We like coming into the blessing. We love the power. Woo! That's all good. But now we've got to talk about tribulations. Look what it says. The apostles in the even early church fathers knew this. They knew that what they were living for was bigger than the pressure, oppression, and hardship that was against them. They knew that their life was never their goal. The apostles and the early Christian fathers, their goal was never an affliction-free life. He says in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Here's what we like to focus on, the last part of the verse. We almost mumble through the first part, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Why don't we focus on the first part? Because it's not as pleasing to talk about, hey, many are the afflictions of the righteous. I'll see you next Sunday. So we raised up people on a message because we thought too many times our goal was just to get people to come to church so we didn't want to talk about the tribulations and the afflictions. Let's just talk about the blessing because we're just trying to get you to come back, sugar booger. So we're raising up sugar Christians with a lot of sweet tooth, but not enough meat and taters, not not enough stability to walk out some tribulation, to look tribulation in the eye and say, I don't care what you bring my way. I'm going to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not in this for blessing. I'm not in this for candy. I'm in this because he hung on that cross for me and I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and I'm going to follow him. He knew something. They knew that tribulations, look what it says, knowing that tribulations produces. Everybody say produces. What does it produce? First thing it produces, that word produce means to develop something. So remember what tribulations is, pressure, hardship, affliction. He knew that that pressure, hardship, and affliction was going to develop something in him. This is the goal that what we're supposed to do at the church is to develop stuff in people, not entertain people. It's not, hey, come, I hope you like my preaching better than so-and-so. doesn't matter. It's about developing you. We understand this principle in, in life, in other areas, in physical training, in exercise or whatever. We understand that if we put our muscles through 
uh, discomfort, agony, pain, and we force ourselves out of bed and we do things we don't want to do and our muscles hurt and, and we get the blood flowing, we understand that we're doing it because there's a greater gain on the end of that pain. That if we'll just walk through it and do it, we're, we're in mind goal. That I don't want to get up this early. I don't want to get on the treadmill. I don't want to ride the bike. I don't want to walk. I don't want to go to the gym. But I want to look different. I want to develop something in my body. We understand that. Why do we not understand that spiritually? We created a theology that if God wants us to be developed spiritually, he's just going to, if you set in enough sermons, poof. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. We've got to be developing. He's going to use hardship affliction and oppression to develop perseverance. What's perseverance? Perseverance is the ability to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. Not the ability to, to, to hold up under easy circumstances. He said, when you go through tribulation, I'm developing your capacity to endure. I'm developing that. I'm, it's going to produce perseverance, and, and Paul knew this. He said, listen, we, why do we rejoice in tribulation? Because we know it's going to develop perseverance in us. And then we know perseverance, if we stay with it and we continue with it, it's going to develop character. Everybody say character. character. Oh, character. This is a good one. The word character means to learn the genuineness of something by examination and testing, often through actual use, proven to be dependable or reliable. Character, the genuineness of something in the kingdom of God has to be proven. It's not just we say we are. He wants to develop character in us. It has to be proven. The Bible even talks about that when the, God brings the word into our heart, that word has to be tested or proven. So if I say, God, I found something in your word, and I believe it. I choose to believe it. Guess what's coming? A character development based on what that word is. And it's got to be proven in my spirit. What's it going to be proven against? It's going to be proven against opposite circumstances from what it says. In other words, am I going to hold on to what God said or am I going to cave to what I see? Am I going to hold on to the promises of God or I'm going to fold up and give up based on what I hear or what I feel? Character endures the testing and the trial and it's proven. God is after developing character. He says the only way I'm going to develop character is you've got to go through it. Tribulations are going to produce some perseverance in us. And that perseverance is going to develop our character. We need to be men and women of character. You know what that means? That means we're going to have to prove ourselves. Not earn salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking, we've already got peace with God. That was through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? I'm talking about God developing us. Who is he proving it to? Who is he proving it to? He's not only proving it to the enemy, but he's proving it to you. You know why God brings us through things sometimes? Because he wants to prove to you that you can do it. We do this with our kids. 
you know how you, we, we try and give them opportunities to do something? We're not sure whether they can do it or not. And, and we just give them a go at it because we want to we encourage them that they're able to do more than they think they can. That's why we put them on a bike and we just push them down the hill and say, go after it, buddy. You know, they, they first get on there, their eyes are as big as saucers. They're like, ah. They don't know if they can do it, but, but if they make it, they ride. Guess what? Next time they get on that bike, they get on there with a different look. They're pedaling back and forth. They're bold about it. They're confident. They're going in different directions. They did develop something in them. And this is what God's wanting to do with us. There's going to be things God's going to give us that we cannot do. There's going to be times that God's going to push you down the hill and say, have a go at it. Like, oh, that's too big for me, Lada. I've never ridden without training wheels before. I've never done anything like this before. He said, I know, but you can't. You'll be surprised what you can do if you just trust me. He's wanting to develop things on the inside of us. But we're afraid to take the risk. We're afraid to stand it. But he says, I want you to rejoice in tribulation because that's going to produce some perseverance in you. It's going to produce some character in you. And then that character is going to lead to what's the last one? What's the last one? Character then? Hope. Thank you. Somebody's paying attention. Hope. Hope. Everything that he was after was to build hope. Because look what he says in verse 5. It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Hope will never disappoint. We will never be ashamed when we have hope. Amen. Do you know what's robbing our society of joy? It's because we lose hope. We lose hope that things are ever going to turn around. Why do we lose uh, joy and confidence in our marriages? Because we don't have any hope that they're going to change and it's going to get better. We don't have any hope that our job is going to be better. We don't have any hope of this. As he said, listen, I want to develop hope in you. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to teach you to rejoice in tribulations. Well, when things straighten out and get a little better, I'll start getting a little happier. No, doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Rejoice in them. It's time for us to turn. Here's a superpower for the followers of Jesus. If the devil can bring all kinds of stuff into our life and you're in it, you got pressure, you got hardship. I'm not talking about stuff we brought on ourselves and we play a victim and pity party over ourselves. I'm talking about you're doing everything God tells you to do and you got hardship and pressure that come. If we will rejoice in it, the devil will be looking at you like, How are you rejoicing? I know the pressure you're under. I know the hardship that we've been throwing your way. I know all the things coming against you. I know the phone call you just had. I know the text you just read. I know what you should be doing. And all you're doing is standing here. Thank you, Jesus. All my life, he has been faithful. All my life, he's been so good to me. How are you doing that? You will confound the enemy. When in the midst of feelings, despair, and hardship, and sadness, and hopelessness, in the midst of it, you say, 
I choose to be thankful. I choose to boast and to brag about my God in the midst of questions. In the midst of uncertainty, when I don't have all the answers, I choose to praise you. I don't get this one, Lord. I, this one, you got me on this one. I'm, I'm baffled a little bit. But I know this. I know all my life you've been faithful. You've brought me through time and time and time again. So I thank you, Lord. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to spiritually work out on the devil. I'm going to get some reps in. I'm going to take this hardship and I'm going to get some reps in on him. I'm going to choose to love in a situation where no one thinks I should love. I'm trying to get as practical as we can. I'm going to choose to forgive in a situation that no one thinks I should forgive in. Why? What am I doing? I'm developing something. It's not about the situation. It's about what I'm developing on the inside of me. I feel like God wants to develop some hope in the room. In a room being Mount Carmel and Carlinville, maybe in the room being your home. People may be hopeless. People may be struggling with hope. Maybe... Which category are you in? Maybe more than one. Number one, do you have peace with God? If you're not born again, if you're not saved, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will not ever experience true hope. You'll have moments of relief where you can ignore things and go on with your life, but we have to have peace with God. Number two, do you need access into the more? Do you need the fullness of what God has? Have you experienced Holy Spirit? Have you experienced Jesus' baptism into Holy Spirit and what he wants to do to fill you with the fruit of the Spirit, the grace gifts of the Spirit? He said you shall receive power when Holy Spirit comes upon you. Access. Number three, do we need to rejoice in tribulation? Some of you are in tribulations right now, and if you're like me, you have trouble rejoicing in it. You have, to, you have a hard time bragging about it and boasting about it because it's become a depressive identity. God wants to break that off of you. God wants to break that off. I had two words that were given to me, and uh, I want, Julie, would you come, you grab a microphone, and Justin, I want you guys to come and share real quickly what uh, God had given you, and we're going to do this before we pray and minister to people. I believe God wants to bring freedom. He wants to bring freedom into your life, and I felt like I was supposed to save this for the end for our Mount Carmel comp campus and our Carlinville campus as well. So Justin, first, just briefly, I want you to share what God had showed you, and uh, then we're going to let God minister to people. So uh, what God was showing me during worship when we were, we were singing and talking about how God is worthy to be praised, and He's good all my life. Mm. He's been faithful. And I felt that there were some people in the room that maybe didn't Thank completely you, believe that in their heart because not only, not only were they carrying shame for the things that, you know, past things that they had done, but the enemy was accusing God to them as well and saying how he had been lax on his promises, on fulfilling his promises, how he had been negligent and... He had put things, lies into your mind, into your heart about how God is and how he is anything but good. 
And I'm telling you today that God is completely good. In him, he is light, and in him there is no shadow of turning. He is always good. He is always faithful, and he will always see his promises to completion. His word does not come back to him, return to him void. It will fulfill its purpose. It will fulfill exactly what it has to do. And so whatever you're believing for, whatever trials you're going through right now, I feel that whenever we have this prayer time, if you have not been able to get breakthrough in your worship time with him, if you haven't been able to get breakthrough uh, in the times that, uh, you know, your trial, you just feel like you keep hitting a wall and you're not making progress, it might be because you don't completely believe in your heart that God is faithful, that he is good. And he is doing everything and working it all together for your good. The Bible says that he works together all things for the good of those who love Jesus and are called according to his purpose. So if that's you today, whenever we give the call, come up and and just receive. Amen. Amen. Julie. Thank you. I started hearing this this morning before I ever came to church, and it was just so strong. During praise and worship, I kept hearing men and torment. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And the during praise and worship, it was so heavy on me, I could barely stand under the weight of it. And I don't know what your yoke is. I don't know what you're being tormented by. But Jesus is here, and he wants you to take off whatever that is and put on his yoke because it's easy. His burdens are light. And some of you have been carrying something very heavy for a while. And it's weighing you down. And he says, give it to me. Today, release it. Give it to me and take my yoke. Thank you so much. Thank you, both of you. I feel like that, uh, again, what God's wanting to do is restore hope. Restore hope in some. Encourage hope. Maybe you're in the midst of some pressure and tribulation and you're like, I'm trying to rejoice, I'm trying to, or maybe you've never heard that concept before at all and you're like, wow, so I'm supposed to praise God in the midst of this? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're developing our relationship with God that we're committed to Him no matter what. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Be prepared. The reason I'm saying this a lot today is because I hear uh, in my heart there's preparation needs to be made. Because I think things are coming on the earth that Christians that are not fully committed, that afflictions are coming. Afflictions are coming in greater measure. I'm not talking about you getting canceled on Facebook. I'm talking about real afflictions are coming. And it's going to be a separator between who's willing to deny everything for the cause of Jesus and who just really kind of wants to go to heaven. It's a big difference. So we have to be prepared for pressure, tribulations. Paul said, and we also glory in tribulations. 
knowing. Why do we glory? Because we know that these pressures are producing perseverance in us. And that perseverance is developing my character. My character developed encourages my hope. Do you know, i got to say this. Do you know why proven character matters? Proving matters. Because on the day we stand before God, the Bible says that we're going to lay out our works before him. And a fire is coming. And a fire is going to consume our works. And whatever is left will pass the test. Whatever the fire consumes is gone. God is into proven things, not verbalized things. Oh, Jesus. Again, I'm not talking about earning salvation. Don't get it twisted. But I'm talking about we've been milk toast too much in church. You realize that God wants to prove your character. He wants to develop you. He's concerned about who you are as a person, as a follower of Jesus, not just a church attender. But he says, come on. Come on, let's grow. I want you to persevere. Why? Because afflictions are coming. They're coming. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.